Hello, everyone, and welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. This is Ryan Parker. And as you know by now, we're just a couple guys with PhDs in theology who like to talk about television. And we're talking about Rectify. Yeah, we're going episode by episode through Rectify, the, uh, the just a great show. And what a special episode we have today to talk about episode 104, Plato's Cave. Tony, if there was ever an episode of a TV show that was tailor-made for this podcast... Oh my gosh. It's this episode, and if there was ever a podcast episode tailor-made for people who like to listen to people talk about theology and TV, this is that episode of that podcast because we had a couple special guests on. Yeah, we invited Graham Gordy and Michael D. Fuller, the two writers of this episode and several episodes in season one of Rectify, onto the podcast, and they very graciously agreed to come on. They didn't tell Tony to take a hike. They agreed. No, I I reached out to Michael on Twitter. Their time, yeah, yeah, and he reached out to Graham, and they jumped on our podcast. And what great guys. Oh, my gosh. I want to sit down and drink bourbon with these dudes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you get what's fun, I think, and uh, acknowledging this is, you know, twice as long as our usual episode. But what an incredible experience to get a glimpse of the inside of the writer's room of Rectify, especially season one, when, like with so many shows – you know, they didn't really know what they were dealing with. Probably the budget was smaller. The writer's room was smaller. They had not yet had any success. They were basically had been given a contract by AMC that was then uh, AMC after the walking dead blew up, didn't have room for them anymore. And they got passed off to Sundance channel and were making this show but these guys yeah. were great. They really, yeah. you know, I, I recommend listening to the whole episode to really get some insight into the writer's room and then to what happen, what happens in this really intense, incredible episode. Yeah, and I think, uh, Tony, it, to, like the show itself, you know, it takes, uh, there's the issue side to it. There's the human spiritual drama side to it. Um, they, they were both, uh, elo- they were eloquent uh, in talking about both of those sides of the narrative. Um, and I think also we tried to do a good job of, or we tried to simply balance the conversation between the creative side, the kind of the industry side, and then also the thematic side, like you and I focus on all the time. I thought it was helpful for us, and hopefully the listeners out there will appreciate some of the insight, as you've talked about, into how the yeah. show got made and developed and oh, their role in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we'll just let this, you know, we'll we'll dive into that conversation here and uh, that'll play out the episode and we look forward to being back with you next week as we dive into episode five huge thanks to graham and michael for joining us if you like the podcast please rate it uh, review it share it and now here's our conversation with the writers of episode 104 of rectify titled plato's cave um the, the reason we're doing Rectify is because it was just one of those shows that, uh, honestly, I saw it on two or three different lists of like TV critics from major newspapers saying, hey, if you're looking for something to binge during COVID-19, 
here's a show that is as good as, you know, Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and, and you know, The Wire, but maybe hasn't been seen by as many people, I assume, because it was on Sundance when it came out originally. Yeah. So that's what got us to look at it. And we've never done this where we've gone all the way through a show that's wrapped from, you know, all 30 episodes. Yeah. Certainly not one that with this kind of breadth to it, you know, 30 across 30 episodes, we've done a lot of, you know, shorter seasons um, or stuff like that yeah. but to, to tackle 30 episodes. It's, it's uh, it'll be a journey. For sure. For sure. Well, it's cool that you guys are doing it and it's, it's also any, yeah. any, any more, uh, attention on the show because I know I mean it, it was such a huge formulative experience for for me and I think I can speak for Graham safely in that regard too and we're both uh, I think it, as much as it is well, Ray's I, baby it is something we both feel because it was such a small staff and it was all season one and new and none of us including Ray had been in a room before uh, so we all we feel very much you know uh some authorship over a lot of what's in there um you know yeah well this is a great i think that's a great way to kind of start talking about the show a little bit in more detail and is to hear that that itself is interesting like that so many people involved early had never been in a room before like that and i wonder if you could talk about how uh, michael you and graham got there um and and what that like early days of that was well i i can I'll, i'll tee up graham uh, for how the the pivot points when we actually got in there, but um, but Graham and I have known each other for years and have been working on uh, a couple of different projects together as writing partners. And we had sold a show uh, to AMC set in uh, in the South, and it was about a big time college football program, and it was um, you know the dark underbelly of the Blind Side essentially, and. Uh, and that unfortunately didn't go forward, but, uh, because it was set in the South, um, and, you know, it was, we, we both being from there and felt like they felt like we had an authenticity to it. I think that put us on their radar, but then, and I'll pass the baton to Graham. He, he had a personal connection with Ray. Yeah. So, so, uh, the, it, it, I didn't know this at the time, but the the uh, the, the parent company of of AMC and Sundance are the same the, the same and IFC are the same same company basically. So, uh, you know, Michael and I had sold sold that show the wreck to AMC, and we were on their radar as you mentioned. And then um, I Ray, you know, I, I live in. Little Rock. I, I I live in Arkansas. I'd moved back from from New York, and at the time, Ray was living here. He he was uh, his, his first wife uh, passed away uh, right right before they did production on the show, actually. But um, anyway, he he uh, and and we just lived right down the street from each other, and we'd collaborated on some stuff before. And I'd read the first. The, the pilot episode that he'd written and he sold it to AMC. And initially, you know, this was, this was back <laughs> when AMC was, had done Breaking Bad and Mad Men. And they were going to, you know, they were dead set on doing Rectify next at AMC. And then they, and then apparently they called him and they said, Hey, yeah, we're just going to do this little zombie show first. And then we're going to do yours. And, 
And so once once they did that, it kind of changed the nature of that network forever. But uh, you know, because because the his pilot script was so strong, uh, they were original uh, starting to do some original content or wanting to do some original content on uh, Sundance as well. And so it was their first uh, scripted show that they that they chose to do. So um, just the combination of of Michael and I knowing all the all the the AMC folks. And then, you know, I'd made a couple of short films with Ray and we'd collaborated on a, on a pilot together ourselves. And, uh, so yeah, he, he asked us to, to, to join up and be, and be part of the room. So we were, you know, it was, it was new and, uh, uh, a, a very, a, a really, in, in, as, as far as those baptisms go, uh, it was a very nice one. <laughs> Yeah, we had, we had, we did have, we did have a uh, 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 co-executive producer, Evan Dunsky, who was, um, who was great. He'd been in plenty of, he had been in plenty of rooms, but by and large, it was Ray, who obviously um, is well known and accomplished as an actor and obviously a filmmaker too, but hadn't been in the writer's room. Um, and then honestly, the person, the other person who had the most experience was our writer's assistant. Uh, and, and when I say experience, I mean, in the actual writer's room, not, you know, in terms of writing, because Graham had obviously had been writing for years. Uh, professionally, I had been a writer's assistant uh, on a variety show for years, um, but in terms of a drama room, but was our writer's assistant, Kate Powers, who came from Mad Men and Breaking Bad, where she had both been writer's assistant on both of those shows. And because because wow. we had... Uh, her and our executive producers were uh, Mark Johnson and Melissa Bernstein, who are the Breaking Bad producers. Um, we were kind of in there like, hey, what do you do? And she said, well, this is what, you know, Vince Gilligan does in the Breaking Bad room with boards and cards. And we're like, it's just like, oh, this makes sense to card things out and to break things. And then we just, you know, we had... I think initially, Graham, wasn't it like, it was like, oh, it's only going to be like four weeks. And then it's like, oh no, this is going to be like three months in the room for these six episodes. And did you guys, did you guys go into that room as a writing, did you guys go into that room as a writing pair where you knew you were going to be teamed up on the episodes you were writing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we'd, we'd written a lot of stuff, uh, previous to that. And then, uh, they, the, the AMC folks sort of hired us as a, as a duo. So, uh, they got, you know, as, 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 as Ray talked about it, it's like, you know, I get, I get two for the price of one here, which was great by us. Like, you know, we were, <laughs> have, that, have that exposure. As, as I recall, actually, when, when we got, uh, I think Ryan and I basically split, um, our consulting fee for the path as well. So we know two for the price <laughs> yeah. of one. It's, it's, a, it's a good deal for them hey. if you can get it. And as long as it can, you know, Absolutely. you can leverage it into something more. <laughs> what's, what's funny too, to, to uh, a little bit full circle in terms of Graham mentioning walking dead uh, with rectify, our writer's room was actually in because AMC was like, well, we've got space here. They've got space there. Our writer's room was actually in the walking dead offices uh, we were where like in the windowless rooms where they do post and they just didn't happen to be in production yet. The writer's room had just started. So they had like these giant conference rooms with all this, you know, they were in season two at this point and were a huge success. And we were in this little windowless room with our mini fridge and our door basketball goal. Like, uh, 
just like you know talking <laughs> awesome. about it, but was but it was also actually like very reflective of like Daniel's experience being on death row and in a cell not not in terms of obviously the freedoms and everything but it was just yeah. like hey we're in here and we're we're talking about murder all day every day and thinking about it. it you started to uh, you started to develop near work myopia. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> exactly, exactly. Michael, you kind of kind of set the tone here for us. I mean, giving a really good sense of kind of the the space that this show comes out of, at least on the creative side. What was what was the vibe in that room? Were you guys aware that you were onto something special like this? Because I I, I tell Tony that watching the pilot almost kind of felt sacred in a way. And it's certainly this episode that, that we can dive into today certainly feels that way. What was there an awareness like this is something potentially special here? I think, I mean, I, you know, Grant and Graham can speak to this too. Obviously the, I think the one thing that really helped was because, and you guys obviously have experience uh, having been in, in rooms as well. And, and uh, your capacity, like, I think one thing that really helped was that Graham and Ray had a camaraderie, pre-existing camaraderie. Graham and I already had a pre-existing camaraderie. Uh, nobody in there was really, it was, it was a good vibe, you know? And then we had Ray who was the, obviously this is all just burst from his, his brain and his being and his essence. So like we had him as kind of the North star and yeah, just, it seemed like, you know, we just really, it, it, so in terms of, did we feel like, I think we felt, we, we felt like we were doing something really important because of the, you know, just like in terms of what it meant and right. in, in, in telling this type of story and the people who've actually lived through this and being wrongfully imprisoned or, and, and, and you know, just the criminal justice system and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, we just, we certainly were trying to do something special. I don't know, Graham, if it felt like, oh, we're definitely doing it. I mean, it just was, it was, it was so much so exciting and invigorating being in the room and, and having Ray as the resource in terms of like, you know, being the filtration system. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I would agree with that. I mean, I think that it was, it, even if it, even if the, the feeling wasn't like we're embarking on something historical here because, you know, who, whoever feels like that. <laughs> and if you do, you're probably wrong. Like it, it was more, uh, it, it was, I mean, when you mention that one one little sort of moment from that kind of stands out because, you know, Michael and I knew Ray's writing before and we knew his films and we knew, you know, the, the style of I mean, he, he was used to writing typically, you know, sort of slowly paced, slow burn, character driven sometimes dramas, sometimes comedies, you know, comedies with drama, dramas with comedy, you know, that sort of thing. And so I just remember this one, this one day about, I don't know, I think we were about halfway through the process and we, we stepped out to go to lunch and Ray was, seemed very uneasy, like un, sort of uncommonly uneasy. And I think he was getting nervous at how sort of sort of slowly paced and deliberate the the show was because you know when he'd come in we 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 talked we we talked about and I can't remember if he came in with this idea or if it was something that came up in the room but was you know it's like all right we have six episodes here this is just a and and th- this idea came along of we want to do the six days after uh, you know, Daniel is released 
from from prison. And I think that I think that he was starting to feel like because at the time and even even since, and Michael and I have talked about this a lot, like there's not a lot that's at this pace of watching, you know, Michael said earlier when we were talking, you know, uh, a, a show where you watch how, you know, people live. And, and I think that Ray was feeling a little unsettled because there wasn't anything like that on TV, really. I mean, Mad Men was sort of the closest version of it. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, Michael and I were talking to him and, and said something and look, we, we were, we were so naive as to just say things like this, <laughs> but it was basically we just were like, "Listen, would you would you rather this be one season exactly like you want it to be, or would you rather this be five seasons of something that you have real misgivings about?" And he said, "I'd rather do one season that I really love," and I I knew that before asking wow. him. And I was like, then, then thought, then, then let's do it. Like there, because the, the distinction between the one thing that I, you know, that I, I did recognize at that point and Michael recognized is, is that like when so much good content and I hate using the word content, so I even apologize for that, but you know, so, so many good shows come from those early, those, those first sort of fearless shots in the dark that networks take the early stuff from HBO, the early stuff from AMC, the early stuff from FX, they, 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 you know, they have nothing to lose because they're trying to garner an audience and they don't have the infrastructure to really watch every, you know, make sure that every T is crossed and every, you know, uh, I is dotted. And so it was like, do, do, like there's nobody watching. There's nobody watching the till. Like that will that will come later when when if this show is successful and everybody will be on it and trying to give their notes. But right now, like do the show that you want to do. Now, later on, I know and I remember Michael and I having the same talk when we were suddenly running the show of Corey was like, oh my God, now I feel what Ray was feeling. <laughs> Which is <Yeah>. that <laughs> Like it's not it's not about like, yeah that that we can make you know no, it's like it was, well, it yes, we can make this choice to be like to bolster him and then it's like yeah yeah uh, I mean it, but it, but it was it, it was really like I I do remember go ahead oh no no I was just gonna say for us it was trash or treasure you know it's like as long as you're not too attached to your ideas it's like you go home at night. You think about things, you work up things, you go in the next day and you pitch them. And there's no problem as long as you're just as, 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 as long as you're not any more attached to one idea than another, then everything can go fine. But it, so, but, but then like when you're in the showrunner position, it's like, I know that's what, that's an, a way that we can go, but is that the way that we should go? Because that could mean the difference between a successful season and a successful season. So anyway, that, yeah. You guys, uh, I was so impressed with this episode, Plato's Cave. And I mean, my experience last night was like watching this show and I mean, watching the episode and the, 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 the theological references 
keep dropping. You know, I mean, it starts with like Plato's Cave. Okay, I, like I get Plato's Cave. That's a fairly common uh, reference, even in pop culture. And then I'm like Flannery O'Connor. Okay, and then it's like Dante Aquinas. And then I start, uh, you know, looking on IMDb to see who the hell wrote this episode. Because um, you guys got to come clean with us here. You've got some uh, pretty deep Christian knowledge. But first of all, to write uh, that that scene in the church kitchen, that is exactly what you guys are talking about here. I think of that a very slow I mean, not in a bad way, but like a slow burn kind of uh, scene that I just, you just don't see in many TV shows anymore. And then layer on top of that, these pretty um, deep theological, spiritual references like Aquinas and, you know, uh, (laughs) Beatrice, which I love that. He's like, oh, uh, you're like my Beatrice. And Tawny, of course, being an evangelical, has never heard of Dante or the Divine Comedy. So I would love to for you guys to tell us a little bit about what background you brought to writing this episode. Well, you're, you're talking to, not in myself and Graham, you're talking to Pastor Bo himself in the episode. So... Yes, that's what I wanted to get to that too. Of so, course, Pastor Bo, who seems not who seems nonplussed about having a potential uh, murderer in his yeah, church. You know, pa- Pastor Bo is an, an easy modern going man of of, uh, of, of the faith. He's he's, uh, he's just happy for, for any and all and the multimedia that the kids love. The the convolu- the uh, the combination of uh, of of uh, you know. Forgiveness, absolution, and uh, abject fear, uh, I think, is probably what was being played. <laughs> I mean, I will say, Pastor Bo, that I've been, I've been, Brian and I have been in a lot of evangelical churches with big screens on the walls. I can't say I've ever seen Raphael paintings being projected up there. Usually it's, uh, well, you know, uh, some cheesy praise uh, song and uh, uh, it's funny and initially we had it as uh, as stained glass in the in the script and so that you know that was a that was a matter of uh because i because i think that in the script initially we had it as a sort of a less uh you know e- even sort of modern uh evangelical church we we had it had it more as a uh you know, a, a, a more traditional, either maybe Methodist or, um, or not Episcopalian, I don't think. I, 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 anyway, I can't, I can't remember now, but that was, I, part of that I think was based on locations and, and things like that. So between you two guys, you must have like a combination of, uh, knowledge or evangelical background plus more of a, high you know a high church uh or theological background well, i think that uh, i and i mean i i grew up going to church and and uh i, I grew up um presbyterian uh I was baptist when i was younger and then my family moved and i was like we'll just go presbyterian and uh and but i think that you know specifically and to give credit full credit where it's due like ray from what ray conceived the show of being and what was there before you know there was even a thought of hiring graham arrived but it was it was there in the series bible which is a uh ironic term as you guys are familiar with but is but uh i think especially here 
Um, but that was that we, he really wanted to show people engaging with their faith, engaging with spirituality in a way that wasn't condescending, that wasn't judgmental, and it was really just, you know, the kind of matter-of-fact way that they do it. And obviously, Daniel comes in as an outsider who has this more uh, in line with the learned and studied way that you guys, the, the knowledge that you possess uh, and, and have developed. But, I, you know, and I think for me specifically, it's just always been, even even if there were times where I would not be feeling church as it were growing up, and especially you know, as I got older, I was always fascinated by the philosophy of it and, you know, the, the, um, the theology of it, which is obviously you guys, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to the, I'm preaching to the, to the actual preachers here, but it just, so I, you know, bringing, bringing that to it and like what that means both in terms of the story you're telling, but then how having the ability to have your characters engage in that in a very direct way was just, that, that was something that Ray, I think was very adamant about and something that we really worked to uh, leverage and harness. And, you know, some of that is the research you're doing on the fly. Some of that is what we were bringing, but that, you know, that's just my own, um, sort of experience with it, but it really did kind of begin and end with Ray and Graham in terms of, I mean, we, not to say that we didn't make those, a lot of those choices or, or, um, have those pitches about the way certain things manifested themselves, but that was, you know, Ray's vision for what the show would be. And did, did you guys get any notes from the network or, or, or like, okay, no Aquinas, that, that's too deep in the weeds or, <laughs> Was that kind of thing, but did did the network and Ray embrace those like that's a pretty esoteric uh, reference in the middle of a very intense scene between two characters who have this kind of smoldering I mean uh, you guys that hug was like intense <laughs> that <laughs> at the end of that scene and they both, yeah they're both, they're you go from Aquinas to this very sexual hug. I mean, it's it's. A, I'd love to hear more about that scene and and the the intensity of it. Well, I mean, I you know, I I think with uh, you know, Michael and I always try to come at this from a from a character point of view first and foremost, which obviously you know works well in in shows in shows like this, or works better for shows like this. Um, and I'll, I'll you know, we really spent I think the first week in that in that writers' room talking about sort of what trying trying to get into Daniel's head and then in and sort of what he was going through because there was a certain amount of arrested adolescence here no pun intended but i just mean you know it's like you're you you go to jail when you're still a teenager you you know when you're basically 18 you come out when you're you know 18 years later uh and so there's a certain amount of of uh I mean, obviously a lack of exposure to the world and how it works. And so, you know, and, and Daniel was a, a, a very intellectually curious sort sort of before he went in and then he became even more so because it was the sort of solace that he could find. And, you know, and, and so we did, we talked a lot about like where he was coming from, you know, and I think that we sort of agreed on this, this kind of agnosticism for, for Daniel, but that he was open to so many of the ideas and he was pretty comfortable, uh, you know, with, with all of them without pointing to a, a certain amount of, of certainty there. And so when we started getting into scenes between, 
Daniel and Tawny, it became a question of like, all right, well, what is the version of of Christian? You know, he's going to try to relate to her because he is he does see her as this kind of this Beatrice, you know, that he he does see her as as uh, sort of a, a little bit of a spirit guide that she is more interesting than a lot of the other people that he's surrounded by now that he's out. And she's also, you know, obviously very cute. too. <laughs> and so, you know, it's that sort of muddle of feelings of like being a, you know, being a teenager and going in and not being, you know, not sort of growing up in that kind of that dating life and relationship life and now being out here combined with all of these things that he's sort of you know been exposed to and that being um and some of it you know i know like the first time that i read about like aquinas and got into reading aquinas was in reading uh you know portrait of the artist as a young man the you know joyce's book and he has that whole breakdown of like wholeness harmony and radiance being the the sort of three elements of beauty and then um you know i know michael and i were both Flannery O'Connor fans, and uh, I, I'd gotten that book, The Habit of Being, with her her letters, uh, and I mean a lot of her correspondence. And then you know there was that whole section where she's taught, like she spoke about Christianity in a way that I'd never heard anyone that I and I was raised in Arkansas, I was raised in the Episcopal Church, yeah. but I was exposed to, you know almost all social outings were going to other churches <laughs> with other people. And so, uh, you know, that there was a, an exposure to all manner of, of, of different churches in, in my youth. And so, you know, putting sort of imagining a similar thing for Georgia. Um, and, but just, you know, like when, when I think, you know, Flannery O'Connor, she says something in one of those about like, uh, you know, Jesus was either the son of God or he was a madman. And I just remember like having to like put the book down and being like, wow, you don't hear people talk like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like that just being so, so struck yeah. by that. Um, and so I just thought, you know, when, when we were talking about it, when Ray was talking about it, when Michael and I were talking about it during the process of this, it was like, okay, it, is it, is it believable that he would, that Daniel would have exposure to all of these things like that he would. And, and obviously in terms of Dante, in terms of, you know, the Inferno and, 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 uh, that, that, you know, having exposure to that seemed likely, um, having exposure to, you know, also relating to like coming out into the world at, at in, into, I just remember that first line of, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, of the divine comedy where he says the thing about, you know, basically essentially being in the middle of your life and being in a darkened wood and not knowing which way to turn. And that, you know, that was always something, maybe that was in a draft or something. I don't remember anyway, but it was just something about. Yeah, that was definitely in a really draft. That, I remember that specifically because yeah. that was, yeah. So anyway, so it, so all, all of these things and, and, you know, and I, I remember we looked back at the, script and we're discuss like before we turned it in and we're sort of like are there too many references here <laughs> like is this is this just becoming like a, a recent i mean dudes not for us no. there's no. A, <laughs> we wrote that for i don't know about the general public but for us oh my gosh it's it's awesome it, but it was love it <laughs> but it love was it. and it was I, I, no i was just gonna say i think into to piggyback on what uh everything graham's saying i think you know one of the big 
themes of that episode specifically that we really honed in on and which was a really fun kind of uh you know motif to have is is was daniel now engaging especially on the heels of episode three where he had been in his version of the cave uh so to speak and been kind of you know sequestered in his his room and and kind of retreated to what he was comfortable with and then emerged that this was really about kind of sensory exploration and so you know if you watch the episode there's so many instances of him you know seeing things and hearing things and touching you know the 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 uh good old god bless her uh heart susan at the end who's cutting his hair and then going to give him so much more and touching him and you know and then but then one of those i remember this coming up in the kind of the research we were doing once we realized that and knowing that you know it was plotted that he would have this interaction with Tawny is that, you know, what the, the spiritual sense and that being another one of the fundamental senses of a person as they're, you know, navigating the world. And it might not be one they engage with. It might not be one that's toned or sophisticated, but that for Daniel, at least it would be very uh, intellectually something he was aware of his spiritual sense, but it wasn't until Tawny that he was actually engaging with it, uh, you know, on, on a, in a human sense and an emotional sense. Um, and I think that was something that was big for us in terms of, and I mean, in the references are like, it's fun to bright for a character like Daniel, who's like smart as hell and red and learned as hell and, and, you know, uh, knows, uh, so many, uh, has had so, nothing but time to study. And that's been so much kind of the way that he's gotten through things and it's given him a perspective that allowed him to survive you know but and and, and to answer you guys' question that I, at the top of this before we both uh uh went off the the network i think it goes back to what graham was saying about first of all they were we had terrific producers who were incredibly supportive and protective of what we were doing and what ray was doing and the network was very supportive like we had great executives but and they didn't really i think know that having those kind of things it just was like this is part of what this show is and we're going to support our showrunner i don't know that if rectify had come after whatever the first show on sunday it's been we wouldn't have gotten like hey there's too much of this here but i think because ray had always been so adamant about that was a fundamental part of the show that you know having that was kind of a, a feature and not a bug yeah i think uh to kind of to maybe pull out a thread i think if i can't think of many but i feel like flannery o'connor would love rectify like <laughs> for a lot of the things that we're talking about, um, you know, she has that phrase about the Christ haunted South. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things as somebody from the South that, that kind of drew, you know, that I'm really intrigued by with the show is just the sense of place that it, it's managed to capture both in um, the setting and, and the dialogue and the performances. Um, it's, you know, I, my wife and I had been watching this together and um, as soon as we watched this episode last night and as soon as it was over, she said that Walmart scene was brilliant because whenever we go home, we inevitably have to go to Walmart with our, you know, with a family member or something because that's the only store in town. Right. And you are, you know, you're going to run into somebody. You just know it. And to have that, compounded by the fact that Daniel's just released from prison and he's with his mom and they've been having trouble connecting and just, it was just brilliant. And I think that's just part of that notion of, of truly understanding the world in which this, these events are set. 
you know. Well, that that's a I mean that's a big thing that Graham and I, so Graham and I both in our work together, and then and the work we've done on our own when it comes to the South, and it's a big uh, is that you just so often see it being stereotyped and it's being you know reduced to caricature and and not having that complexity and that uh dimensionality that exists there and you only kind of know that if you grew up there i think i think you know it's easy to come in and see all those so many of those things do exist those caricatures but there's it's also like what's the humanity underneath that and usually you typically find that i mean that's where i think graham and i spark so much is uh you know creative writing partners uh because our friendship is our friendship but is that it's like you know we both lived those like going away and then coming back and like okay you got to go to walmart with your mom you know like you got to go stock up on stuff and that was just was just yeah. a shared experience uh and those kind of things being you know informing so much of how you know and i think uh, of what um we wanted to dramatize uh in the series in general and in, in that episode I, I got I got a little teary, honestly, when the when the woman, um, the other shopper comes up to them when they're in the yarn section. Mm-hmm. And because, of course, every interaction they have in public, you don't know which way it's going to go. And, you know, just a couple moments later, they're out in the parking lot being accosted by a film crew or a TV crew. But um, that's just such a little moment of grace from that redheaded woman who says you know i bet your mom is so happy to have you home after she tells them about the sale at kohl's it was so it was great i loved it and it the it's these moments it's so funny i think you guys do that it's this back and forth even in the prison scene it's like on the one it's almost like the angel and the demon on daniel's two shoulders you've got you know the one guy in one cell who's who's supporting him and and, and encouraging him to fight for his, you know, to prove his innocence. And then you've got the other, just the really demonic guy on the other side who's vile and evil. And there's that, there's that kind of back and forth that you, it, it reminds me of like dialectical theology, that it's always the back and forth between the light and the dark and the yes and the no. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it's funny, I, looking back at it, because, uh, you know, I don't, I haven't really looked back at this episode. I've, I mean, you know, since it was on basically. And, and, um, and so, so doing so today, I, I was, I was, I was struck by, and it, it brought back the, the memories of saying like, you know, because there's sort of the traditional mo- dramatic momentum of something, which is created by, you know, a character wanting something and obstacles falling in their way, you know, ever increasing obstacles. And then they come up with a new plan and then they, you know, that, that, that is, that is that. And, uh, and while that is there and we were very, uh, conscious of that in that uh, in this, it it is smaller. It's more like a play in a way. But a, one of the one of the ways that we, uh, you know, tried to imbue this with a, a, a another narrative momentum, but a uh, but a different one is that you know, it, it, creating the tension of is this is this encounter going to be a good one or a bad one. Because as you're saying, everyone can go go either way, and the 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 quick and easy version, the stereotypical version, is that that redheaded woman would say something terrible, 
and that would be, you know what I mean? That it would just all, and, and so I know that we worked hard to try to find that, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I, I respect so much about Ray allowing this to exist and Ray put, and, you know, knowing him and, and put it, doing it throughout the series is that the kind of the, the humanity of it and the, and, and by that, I mean the sort of humane aspect of this and looking back at this episode and thinking about how, how in just talking to it with you, uh, talking about it with you guys, like how muddy his feelings are, you know, like how conflicted and how overwhelming it must be and how so much of this was about us sort of considering this guy to be an exposed nerve suddenly out in the world and having all of this book knowledge and this experience and, you know, these horrible things that happened to him in prison. And then what does that mean when that meets, uh, you know, a, the reality in, you know, 2013 Georgia? I think that's really uh, that you're kind of anticipating another question that we or at least that I had. And that it's it's a conversation Tony and I've kind of had over the last four or five weeks. Um, we both obviously love the show, but I think we, for different reasons. And one of the reasons that I've really enjoyed it is it's made me think about, um, people, incarcerated communities, uh, the prison population. Um, it's very easy to take something like this, uh, and turn it into an issue show. Um, and I, I don't think that's what this is, but if anybody wanted to know more about what it must be like to be incarcerated, to be on death row, this is what I would recommend, not a documentary or something like that, because um, I, the way that it's captured uh, in Daniel's performance or uh, Aiden's performance in the prison and then more importantly when he's out. Um, and then Tony says, you know, I'm, I'm much more concerned about the human drama and, and, and things like that and the spirituality and, and, and those uh, themes. But I felt like this episode captured both of those perfectly because of this in this idea of vision, right? That because he was incarcerated in a space that literally limited his field of vision, he couldn't see, but yet you have these beautiful spiritual conversations with Tawny about vision, right? What can we, maybe a spiritual vision. So I, I wonder if you could talk about that tension of like not slipping into that notion of being like an issue show where you're just kind of driving home the horrific reality of wrongful detainment, for example, uh, but yet still letting that be a part of the message of the show, so to speak. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, we, we, knowing what it was about and knowing that, um, that, you know, Daniel himself was experiencing this and he was our protagonist, uh, you know, as much as subsequent seasons, you know, dramatize and follow other characters that we really wanted to approach it with as much, um, respect and and education as we could, and so we we did uh, you know a lot of research, a lot of which Ray had already done, but then ourselves, you know, we had we had interviews with um, people who had been uh, exonerated and had been wrongfully imprisoned and had been on death row. We talked to um, you know wardens who had presided over uh, executions and, and were now working to. Um, abolish the death penalty and it was you know a lot of really interesting and, and um harrowing 
experiences that we were able to, you know, through the process of research, uh, come in contact with. And I think you just then at that point want to, it was, you know, in a, in a very similar way, what Graham and I did with, uh, Quarry was, you know, with Vietnam veterans, like really respect and, and what you're doing and the experience of the people who actually lived it at the same time, knowing that we're not, making a documentary and that we're not making something that you want to be so clearly painted with a political lens. I think one thing that we really, I think all collectively and kind of, you know, cracking open our heads and pouring out um, our perspectives on the the issue itself of, of the death penalty and of, um, you know, people who were wrongfully imprisoned was, you know, if you watch the, which were a big influence and, and obviously Graham and Ray lived in Arkansas, but if you watch the Paradise Lost documentaries, um, which is one of the, you know, seminal works yeah. on this, they don't ever, the thing they do that I think is so powerful and that we realize is that they don't ever say definitively in a way that other documentaries do, hey, this, like there's no guiding hand of, of this is the person who did it. This is the person who didn't do it. And this is the person or whatever. They just present it. And then it's so much more powerful because you as the viewer, is you're coming to your own conclusions. You're making your own connections. And then as we saw in that documentary, those then become upended in completely different ways when new evidence comes to light and everything else. But we, we felt like the way to present it was to not present it as, see, this guy was clearly wrongfully railroaded, but also then not to say, this guy's up to something and he's evil is just to say, Hey, this is the, this person's experience. And we're going to let you as the audience figure out how do you feel about his guilt or innocence? And then ostensibly, how do you feel about, you know, the death penalty as a whole? Because if you don't can't say for certain that he's guilty, then how can you say for certain, you know, that there should be a death penalty. And so we really, I think it was just really a matter of that, of trying not to, trying being very aware of the issue and being very as in-depth and, and researched as we could on the issue and then trying to have that be more in the dna of the show as opposed to us you know beating people over the head with it um okay so you guys i, I it was funny um Ryan, I, I watched it and then went to bed because i'm in central time and then ryan watched it a little bit later and i woke up to a text from him saying is tawny the best evangelical character we've ever seen on TV. And I wanted to ask about, you know, you're writing to characters, which is what I love. And it's been kind of like Brian was just alluding to. It's been a little bit of a fun controversy between the two of us because he wants, he, he, he likes for us on the podcast to like talk about the bigger social issues that the show raises. And I'm like, not really interested in that. I'm really interested in these characters and what's going on inside them. I wonder how you've already touched on it, but how it is to write sensitively of a Southern evangelical like Tawny. It's got to be a challenge to write that character in ways that don't caricature her as just like a dumb. I mean, you, you know, like she's never heard of Aquinas. Right. She like reads the Bible and, the, and she doesn't know Flannery O'Connor how do you approach writing a character like that? I think one thing that helped them out, but it's just that part of what we were dramatizing was her own, her own spiritual awakening because she has had her spirituality that's been so kind of imposed on her that she's naturally assumed. And then here comes Daniel who has this breadth of knowledge that, that kind of opens her own eyes. So it helped to have someone who was not, and who was open to that. I think because a lot of times when you see that there's such a uh, dogmatic, um, 
and doggedness about it that, you know, so I think it helped that she was kind of receptive to something in a way in terms of dramatizing it. And I'll, uh, um, but Graham can speak to it uh, more. I mean, yeah, I, I think that one of the, one of the main things that we talked about conveying with her is not, not to, um, you know, and, 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 and Michael and I are, uh, obviously have been, you know, surrounded by these individuals, our entire life or, you know, are related to, you know, all, all, all that sort of thing. And, and so a lot of that was just as, as Michael said, uh, you know, not, not, uh, Ray's kind of mandate from 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 the beginning, which obviously we agree with, is is just to make make these very full, realistic characters in every way possible. And you know, so what is what is the most honest, generous way to to sort of portray her? And one of the things that I liked so much about her is that um, it, it is her her faith is completely sincere to her, you know, and her faith is just as, and it, it is something that she feels and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't necessarily need to reason about it so much because it's always been so sort of present with her. And I know, I mean, you know, I remember there's that when she's asking uh, Daniel about the afterlife and, you know, that her faith sustains her and, you know, he sort of says that thing about, you know, does it sustain you or, or numb you? And, and, and it's not like, she's not, she's not cowed by that at all. She just, she's, she says, no, like it's that my, my life is, is more bright and more full and the joy sort of over, overcomes me, you know? And, and I think that, but, but one of the things that I also find really endearing about her that I find with so many of these you know, individuals we know is that there's, there's not, there's not pretense about it. There's not, you know, she's completely honest and, and clear that it's like, well, I don't know Aquinas. I don't know who Beatrice is. I don't know. And, but, but my, you know, I, I would love for, you know, I think one of the ways that we talked about, you know, their scenes is that, that Tawny sort of embodies it so much. Whereas Daniel has intellectualized it, but hasn't been able to embody it. And so when the baptism comes, you know, however, you know, those those are, again, these were purposefully sort of orchestrated in terms of, well, what would he be feeling? at this moment, (laughs) like what, you know, could, could he be, is what he's feeling the kind of, uh, you know, being overcome in a bodily way by what, by, by what Tawny has described, is it finally sort of getting out of this cell and getting out of his head and embodying this in some way, or, or, you know, or is it, or is it something else? And so anyway, that, I think that that's the way that we, we tried to portray it because, you know, there are so many ways to sort of cynically, cynically do this. And it's, it was the same, the same approach as with, you know, the, the woman in the Walmart, it's like, all right, this can go one of any number of ways, which is the most interesting. Well, the most interesting is to expect her to sort of chastise him 
And then for her to say something, you know, as, as you, the way you put it, you know, it, it is, it's a moment of grace and it's, and it's really beautiful. Um, you know, how, how can we, how can we do that at every turn? That's, that's the kind of dramatic tension that we're more interested in, in this show. Well, it comes, it comes through and it, it, it really captured to me the kind of interior logic, so to speak of her evangelical faith, where not only is she, is she quick to confess that she doesn't know Aquinas, for example, uh, she doesn't feel shame about that or embarrassment. And she, as being an evangelical, she believes in the existence of hell and she does not want Daniel to go there because of, because she loves him, right? She's motivated by this divine love uh, and this feeling of love for Daniel that, um, that wants the best for Daniel and in a non-judgmental way. And it just felt, it felt so authentic. It felt so refreshing to see that. There's another thing we talk about religion in the South uh, sex is going to figure in there somewhere, sex and sexuality. And it's certainly baked into this series. And we think about Daniel being locked away, the conversation that he had a couple of episodes ago with Teddy Jr. about what life was like in prison. And obviously Teddy wanting to know about prison rape and conjugal visits. Um, and then we see um, in this episode, if you talk about thinking about what direction you can go in a moment, there's Teddy Jr. in the pool with uh, with these two women when he's on a work trip, and he you think oh well te- there goes right. Teddy, and then and in the final scene when the uh, the woman at the beauty parlor is cutting Daniel's hair and and what I thought was potentially oddly a holy moment coming completely out of left field offering herself to him and knowing that she would always do that or she had kind of said to herself that she would always do that. I thought I thought those were two choices that a lot of writers and a lot of series wouldn't have made given those situations. I wonder if how you all talked about that, how you thought about those moments. I mean, I think we we definitely knew that. <clears throat> obviously, that's a and especially coming from from Ted Jr., who is I think sneakily um, might be my favorite character in the show, just especially for the journey he goes on. But um, but I, I think that you know just for his kind of southern frat boy type understanding of prison like that would definitely we just felt like that was something that he would you know he would poke at and would also be a way for him to kind of assert his uh some type of dominance even if he's doing it unknowingly over daniel and it just totally backfires on him um but you know i think that 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 just being a fundamental part of you know, one, the human existence, which as we said earlier, and as I uh, said to Graham when we were talking about the show earlier, is like just part of living, but especially for Daniel with somebody being out and what's a way that, you know, it's a very real thing. He hasn't touched another human being or, or had, you know, sexual encounter uh, that was, um, you know, a consensual one or a good one for many, many years. And right. so, you know, and I think the, the the specific idea for that, Graham may remember better, I think that may have been a Ray, because, you know, obviously, and you guys know we're all in the room together, and we're all, even though we wrote the episode, we're all pitching on things, but I think her giving herself to him was something Ray had always kind of had this notion of, um, and I think it was, you know, and then as we got into it, it just, mm-hmm. it was so much more, like, that actually kind of backfilled in the notion of sense and touch and like him emerging and that being a theme for the episode. Um, wow. But Graham, was that, was that a Ray? Was that, 
I, that was something that was in the Bible, I feel like. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like that was one of those, you know, as as you guys know, you get into a room and, you know, we had like the, the six uh, cork boards up, uh, you know, around the room. And I think that that was on a card some somewhere, you know, and, and not to say that it's... Uh, you know, Yahtzee or anything, but it was, it was just one of those things where it was like, well, what if that, what if that, you know, because I think, I think we initially intended when we were talking about the season for that to happen later. And then, you know, I, I, someone, maybe Ray, I, I, I don't even remember was like, well, what about, what about that there? And, and, you know, coming off of the, um, and again, I mean, it, 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 it fit and it, it sort of, it felt like, all right, well, let's give it a, let's give it a shot and see if it works because it does, it, it's, it's obviously a sort of out of left field move. Um, but, you know, coming off of what, what Daniel just experienced with, with Tawny uh, and just that this, this being there, it felt like. And, you know, this is this is one of the things that I appreciate so much about this series, having nothing to do with me, having nothing to do with, you know, Michael and I just just, you know, coming from Ray's mind and everybody that worked on it, you know, after us and all of that is that, um, you know, it, it, it embraces the fact that we are all a cast of thousands and we don't always make the most sort of. Uh, rational moves or the you know typically in in a show you know ted jr would have absolutely as you said there goes there goes teddy he's you know he's off to the holiday inn you know room 312 with that girl (laughs) um you know it's like what what are the ways in which we can subvert that because yeah it's like the episode you know you do have him asking these sort of typical questions so it's like in in the in the audience because you know there there are no there there aren't a lot of gunshots or explosions or helicopters you know battling each other in this series where do you find the sort of narrative tension and i think that the beauty of the series is that um it, it, you know it, is that it it manages to play with those sort of setting up a notion of who a character is and then subverting that because which which reminds us more and more of of our humanity and and reminds people and it hopefully Great. gives a, a dose of of that uh in a series and you know and and god bless him ray ray got away with it you know <laughs> well as a viewer i thought during that closing scene uh, this is an example of how great writing and great acting have to work together because that that was tough. As, as a viewer, I was just thinking like, is this believable? Would she really do this? Would this hairdresser be like, I'm happily married, but I'm going to give myself to you? And yeah, I, I mean, I bought it. I believed it in the same way that, you, you know, Tawny is a very believable character too, who's 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 evangelical, but not simple minded. Like she's, she's open and curious, which of course, a lot of evangelicals are not open and curious, but she is open and curious, which is what makes her this ongoing conversation she has with 
Daniel intriguing. So, well, before we go, I wanted to just say, give a little shout out to one of my favorite moments. And I don't know if this was in the script or if it was, you know, directed at the moment of, but, um, when Trey and the sheriff are having their relatively tense conversation, uh, in the backyard and Trey says, Oh yeah, when our daughters worked on that cancer drive together, right as he's firing in a dip of tobacco, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought that is awesome. That's bridgers, man. So I, I <laughs> what's that? Is that did one of you guys can one of you guys take credit no, for that? That's Sean Bridgers, man. That's he's just he's he's uh he's as good as they come. Uh, oh, so that's just the yeah. actor I just mean, it, came it, up I, with that. I huh? think that he was dipping. I think we had written in there that he was dipping, and it is. I think this is <laughs> that, right? I think that was just Bridgers. Yeah, yeah but that, yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. On, on the day, and, I don't know if that was Ray telling him to do it or the director telling him to do it, but I'm guessing that that was Sean, uh, who is fantastic and in, in everything it, you know, everything you see him in. But that that is. That, that's that's, right. uh, that's Sean Bridger's in- energy right there. So yeah, that's awesome. I love so it. Good. Well, I really uh, encourage people to look up both you guys on IMDb and and check out the other stuff you've worked on, um, both together can, and individually. Uh, can you, um, Tony? Can they? Can you guys say what? What are you? I know it's yeah. What, what are you working on right now? Of the pandemic. Anything you want to share? Uh, pitch. Encourage folks to check out. Uh, I, I'm working on, I just finished, uh, <clears throat> season two of Lock and Key, which is a Netflix show based on a Joe Hill and Gabriel Very good, yeah. novel. Um, and it's, uh, it's like, you know, it's very much, um, more of a PG 13, uh, family moves to new England, finds, uh, the kids find magical keys and the demons after them. It's very, very different, uh, in so many ways than, uh rectify and uh and yeah so that's what i've been working on the past few years and uh and then just my own development with um you know a couple a couple other projects yeah and and i'm 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 mostly in that that development hole myself uh uh have a a new feature trip that we're you know have a director attached to and all that and uh and a new a new pilot and all of that but um yeah hoping hoping things uh you know er- everything is on hold until they can get get things back into production so we'll see if but like, see if any left yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and i'll and i'll plug uh i'll plug the thing Graham and i left rectify to do together which is Corey, uh which aired which yes. aired on cinemax uh in his one season um it's available uh on amazon on itunes on voodoo um something we're really proud of and has uh kind of took very much the spirit of you know i mean we were immediately when we wrapped the room on rectify we went full bore into to writing quarry so we took a lot of those same storytelling uh principles and, and just kind of put them in a much more pulpier engine because uh, it's about a vietnam veteran coming home who uh ends up becoming a hitman but it's uh but hopefully you know that same attention to 
character and and uh you know spirituality in its own way i think is is uh is present in there not not to the level of rectify necessarily but it's you know we still kind of tried to harness a lot of those same principles and and um yeah it's something graham and i are both very very proud of well thanks a million you guys really appreciate it really appreciate you jumping on with us and uh awesome incredible work on rectify and i know that you know looking on the uh credits um, we're trying to be very disciplined and only watching one episode per week so we don't spoil it for ourselves. But it uh, looks like, you know, you guys got a bunch of writer's credits coming up on the episodes we're watching. Another biblical reference dropped in Jacob's Ladder is the title of a couple episodes down the road, I see. So we're looking forward to that. Thanks a million. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. 